Well, last night I ended the fourth sign as being the sign of apostasy. I listed some signs of apostasy. When I listed those signs, I used the sense of apostasy as Scripture uses it, as rebellion or defection. My intent wasn't to say that if someone was engaged in one of those sins that is indicative of rebellion that they have lost their salvation. But what I will say is that when you willfully disobey the plain teaching of the Word of God, you are engaging in rebellion, which is apostasy. As we talk about the Antichrist tonight, we're going to see that accompanying him is an apostate religion which has to do with the great falling away in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But as we continue, let's go ahead and look at the fifth sign, and that is the sign of the reign of the Antichrist. So Scripture predicts that there will be a literal person who the scripture calls the Antichrist, or Paul calls in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the man of lawlessness. And the scripture we're going to look at is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. The Thessalonians are worried that the rapture and resurrection of the dead has happened and they got left behind. And Paul said in chapter 2, of 2 Thessalonians verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion, that's the apostasy, occurs and the man of lawlessness, which is the Antichrist, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. In this scripture, Paul indicates another sign of the day of the Lord is the revelation of the man of sin, the man doomed to destruction, the son of perdition, as the King James says. The man of sin here is generally identified with the Antichrist, who John says is to come in the last days, and you can find that in 1 John 2.18. Although much obscurity and difference of opinion prevails on this subject. It is generally admitted from the foregoing and other texts that before the second coming there will arise a powerful adversary of Christ who will seduce the nations by his wonders and persecute the church. The book of Revelation, we find the Antichrist accompanied by two other persons, the first being Satan, who falls from heaven and gives power to the Antichrist. And there's a third person who accompanies the Antichrist, and that is the false prophet. The scriptures indicate that at the last day there will be an end times religion. Somehow the Antichrist will not only gain the loyalty of the whole world, but the Antichrist will gain the religious loyalty of most of the world. As we think about the Antichrist and the book of Revelations that 
His number is 666, that of a man. The perfect number in Scripture is the number 7, where the number of a man, the number of God, is 7 because God made the earth in 7 days. 7 is the number of completion, and the Scripture tells us that 6 is the number of a man, and so his number is 666. Just as God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's three in one. So the Antichrist will blaspheme God by being a three, a triumphant, a triumvirate, if you would. Um, Satan, a false messiah, and the false prophet to accompany him. So there will be a blasphemy on the Trinity. So people have asked me if... I think there will be an actual number, 666, that will be stamped on us. And the answer is no, it's symbolic. I'm almost certain of it. The scripture says that it will be required to have this number stamped on your hand or forehead if you want to buy or sell anything. In scripture, people and things were branded with marks to indicate who they were dedicated to. So to be marked with the number 666 is to be considered having defected to the Antichrist, Satan, and the false prophet. And in the history of the church, there was an occasion where during the lifetime of a Roman emperor that uh, in certain parts of the Roman Empire, a certificate was issued once you burnt incense to Caesar. And they were given this certificate to buy or sell anything. You had to present the certificate in the market before they would sell you anything. So many times, as I said last time, that in Scripture we see dual prophecy happen. Prophecies happen and are fulfilled more than once. We certainly see it in some of the prophecies that Christ fulfilled. They were fulfilled, some of them, not all of them, in the Old Testament, fulfilled by Christ perfectly in the New Testament. Scripture says there's going to be a false prophet who engenders worship of the Antichrist. The ultimate sign of the apostasy, the falling away, the defection, the ultimate sign of that, the end times religion will be and is now the religion of Babylon and Rome. So in the book of Revelation, you see God's judgment on Babylon, that Babylon is overthrown. The Babylonian religion is also the Roman religion. Now I want you to think about this with me. The ultimate sign of apostasy is to deny that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And the religion of Babylon and the religion of Rome, the religion of Satan and the Antichrist is the religion of all ways lead to God and religious syncretism. So Rome and Babylon sought to merge religions as all being valid ways to God. And in the midst of the Roman religion grew up the church. And the church proclaimed only one way to God, and that was through Jesus Christ. And this is demonstrated in the martyrdom of the early church. There's a saying that the church was built on the blood of Christ and thereafter on the blood of the martyrs. And the word martyr is a Greek word that means witness. 
And the basic problem that the Romans had with the early church is that they refused to burn incense to Caesar as a god because the later Caesars felt that it would unify the empire if people would burn incense to them as a god. You wouldn't have to deny your god. You could keep your, your, your Jesus, but you just had to recognize Caesar as a god. And the church wouldn't do it. And they were martyred. So in the end times, there will be a persecution in the church. And there will be a rebellion in the church to pursue a understanding of salvation as being multifaceted. Always lead to God. All religions are equally valid. In our own day, we are seeing people martyred for refusing to bend the knee to other gods. I can't get out of my mind that image of that large group of Coptic Egyptian Christian men on the beach in Libya in orange jumpsuits. And they all had opportunity to deny Christ and embrace Muhammad and Islam. And to a man, they didn't bend the knee. And then they were put on their knees while their heads were sliced off. What an amazing and powerful witness. I'll tell you what, is that those young men were not nominal Christians. They were the real deal. So the end times religion, the satanic force that has been in existence since the beginning of the world has been flowing through our world in the religion of Babylon, flowing into the religion of Rome that always lead to God. And again, for those of you listening via internet, if you are in a church where your leaders hedge on the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the only way, the only truth, the only life, you need to bail out of your church and get into a church that preaches Christ and Christ alone. And I usually don't ask for an amen, but on that one, how about it? For the last two years, there's three things that the Lord has been impressing upon me. One is to preach repentance, true repentance, that people would recognize their sin and repent of it, confess it, and turn from it and receive forgiveness. The other emphasis the Lord has been impressing on me is to preach the danger and the reality of eternal damnation. Yes, There is a devil. Yes, there are demonic beings. Yes, they will be consigned to everlasting fire. And yes, some people will join them. And many people will be separated from the eternal love of God by their own free will. If you are in a church that hedges on judgment and the eternal consequence and damnation for sins and rejection of the Lord, you need to bail from that church and get into a church that teaches that fundamental truth of Scripture. In Scripture, Jesus talks about hell, judgment, and damnation more than any other person in Scripture. He was constantly warning people of it. Even the Pharisees and religious leaders 
and it got him persecuted and was part of the reason he was crucified. The other emphasis that the Lord has told me to focus on these last two years is the exclusivity of Jesus as being the only means of salvation. Peter says to the nation of Israel, there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved except the name of Jesus. Jesus claimed the same thing in John 14. I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And it got him persecuted and murdered on a cross, though he knew it was coming. The early church paid with their blood for standing on those three fundamentals of faith. There's no compromise in that. And when the great apostasy occurs with the rise of the Antichrist, my speculation, and that's what it is, speculation, is that the religion of the Antichrist will be universalism. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the Pentecostal giants, the 19th and 20th century said the same. But not only that, if you look at all of the movies that have been produced in Hollywood over the last 30, 40 years, many of them have been promoting a universal religion. And probably the most influential of movie franchises has been Star Wars. That God is an impersonal force. All we see is either God or part of God. In all ways, all spiritual ways lead to becoming one with the force. And by way of speculation, speculation that I remember hearing and talking about in the 1970s, is in a world that's so deeply divided, think about our own country right now, how divided we are just in regards to politics. We're more divided than we've been since the Civil War. But think about a world divided by politics, by religion, by ethnicity. What on earth could unite the world behind one man who Satan raises up, the Antichrist? What could possibly do that? And in the 70s, I remember godly people that I respected they were national figures talking about this issue. And scripture says that at the end of the age, and we will talk about this in a few minutes, that there will be great disturbances, wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and earthquakes and, and famines and great disturbances of nature. There'll be chaos and there'll be lawlessness. And in the midst of that, an antichrist will raise up and promise peace to the world and the first three and a half years according to scripture of his reign he will seem to deliver the goods but the last three and a half years he'll turn on nation of Israel he'll turn on the church and he'll begin persecuting Israel and the church and then the wrath of God will be poured out upon all people who support him and his religious system so how could a person come on the scene to unite Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, political left, political right? Speculation has been, and this is just one possible way, it's totally speculative, 
but that in the midst of great crisis and the disintegration of law and order, as we're seeing here in the United States, that there'll be a cry for help. In the midst of this crisis, Satan will make the greatest counterfeit miracle the world has ever seen. And let's go ahead and look at 2 Thessalonians again. We see in verse 9 of chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, the coming of the lawless one, that is the Antichrist, will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11, this is an important one. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Again, this is purely speculation, but the lie may well be when the Antichrist appears, he will appear as an extraterrestrial, a space alien who will tell the world that his race has been watching the earth for millennia. They wanted to not interfere with the affairs of the earth and let it progress naturally and normally, though sometimes during history they've intervened and we've known them as angels. We've known them as messiahs of ascended masters, but they quickly disappeared when they weren't needed, but now they have reappeared. And he becomes a world figure promising to bring peace and technology promising to bring an end to pandemics producing the goods to do it and what would happen if the world was deceived into believing that this person was indeed a superior intelligence an extraterrestrial how would the world receive that hollywood's been setting us up to receive it either does this person come in peace close encounters of a third kind, or does he come in, in violence and war? Well, he'll claim for the first three and a half years to come in peace. Many serious Bible prophecy scholars have conjectured that this will be the great delusion, that God allows this to happen because they are so deceived by their own pride, the pride of life, the pride of religion. So let's talk a little bit more about the UFO theory, and that's all it is. It's speculation. It's not in Scripture. That the speculation is the Antichrist fakes being an extraterrestrial. He is not an extraterrestrial. He is most likely a, a man who, by the, the power of demonic deception, deceives the world. And the speculation is one way he might deceive the world is by faking himself to be an extraterrestrial with exceptional power and knowledge, and he very well may have some. He may be satanically inspired to, to provide some, uh, some cures to cancer, some things like this that have been beyond the realm of human possibility. You know, for folks who are listening to this for the first time, they just might say, that's insane. That seems like, you know, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid, but if you look at the news in the last six months, there has been 
a number of reports in the New York Times had a, a very serious article on this in the last few years about military sightings of unidentified flying objects. One of the people who um, was documented as seeing a UFO and not only seeing it, but able to point and shoot some sort of radar or detection device where it showed up on his display. So it was something tangible. It wasn't just an optical illusion. His name is Commander Fravor, like favor, but Fravor with an R. I saw him on the Joe Rogan podcast, not endorsing Joe Rogan, but Fravor, a Navy F-18 pilot, retired now, says that these occurrences are common and that these UFOs are showing up on military imaging devices. In fact, the, div- the UFO he saw and some of the pilots in his formation saw off the coast of San Diego had been appearing on radar or military imaging in the week or two prior to their flight. And one of the pilots he flew with, a fighter pilot, she was extremely upset that the Navy command did not inform them that these objects were appearing on military imaging. There's another one that's more famous than his that's been showing up on the internet and also on the mainstream news media of video imaging that they have taken of this object. It looks, it looks like what could be a saucer-shaped craft. According to Fravor, the East Coast has been a hotbed of these sightings, and they're not uncommon. UFOologists, if you even accept that as being a pseudoscience, many of them came to the conclusion that these things and experiences people had with extraterrestrials and UFOs were not extraterrestrials, but they were interdimensional beings. And for Christians, our understanding of an interdimensional being would be an angel or a demon or a fallen angel. I have talked to people who have had encounters with aliens at night who, have, who claim to have scars on their body from things done to them by aliens. And they don't talk about it to folks because it just gives them derision and it lends to them being ridiculed. But you can superficially on the internet, not weird conspiracies, but, but find documentaries where people claim to have these experiences. And I think it's definitely in the realm of speculation. That's all it is. But that would be, I think, one way that Satan could pull off what Scripture calls a delusion. God sends them a powerful delusion. Well, let's go ahead and continue on to the rest of the signs. So the sixth sign that will come before the return of Jesus Christ is the conversion of the Jews. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, for I would not have you unaware, brothers and sisters, of this mystery. Remember, a mystery is something that's now been revealed. Christianity has no secrets, but we have a lot of mysteries. Mysteries are always things 
that have been revealed through the ministry of Jesus Christ. This mystery that blindness in part has happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles should come in, or that's the full number. And so all Israel should be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion he that shall deliver and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So the prediction is not only the conversion of the Jews, but that all Israel shall be saved. And for all Israel to be saved, there has to be an Israel. And in 1948, as we talked about last night, Israel was restored in 1948. So again, we have a Jewish nation, a very powerful Jewish nation, at the intersection of the geographical, political, economic, and religious crossroads of the world, and they are important, but they are in the land, and they do not have faith in Messiah, Jesus Messiah. But Paul says that they will, as a nation, receive the Lord Jesus. The seventh sign that will come before the second coming of Jesus Christ are extraordinary disturbances of nature. In Matthew 24 and Luke 21, Jesus talks about disturbances in the physical universe. Jesus talks about wars and pestilence, famines and earthquakes, calamities that cause so much fear among humankind that the fear itself almost kills them. Think of the word pestilence, of course, I think of the covid pandemic we're having and one thing I would just tell people who are listening is that in the history of the church pandemics are nothing new the church has survived and ministered through many pandemics much worse than this one bubonic plague among them but even in the early church many pandemics but I will say that it's interesting that in this pandemic let's be as positive about it as we can by saying we are seeing a discrepancy in how the state, the government, is treating the church versus other organizations that have constitutional rights delineated in the Bill of Rights. For instance, it's okay to do mass protest. However, if you have more than 10 people in your church building, you're going to be fined out of existence. It's a dangerous precedent, and I think that it is not necessarily a sign of the imminent return of Christ, but I think that in all the predictions that Jesus made, as we see an escalation in what could definitely be the fulfillment of these things, that it gives us pause to wonder, is state control of the church about to become the norm not only in the United States but in the world so we have the extraordinary disturbances of nature then the eighth sign of the return of Jesus Christ is the trumpet of resurrection we read this last night in 1st Corinthians 15 1st Thessalonians 4 15 and John 5 28 we haven't been in John yet so let's go ahead to the Gospel of John. And we're going to read chapter 5, verse 28. 
Hey folks, this is Father John again. Unfortunately, the transmitter battery went out. The end of the teaching was cut off last evening. So I just want to finish it up to say the last two signs of the return of Christ are the trumpet call of God right before Jesus comes from heaven and power and glory. At that time, there'll be the resurrection of those righteous who have died in Christ. And if we who are alive and in Christ are alive at that time, we will be raptured, caught up with Christ to meet him in the air to begin the royal procession for Christ to assume his kingship over the earth. And I am premillennial, so that will entail the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. And all the promises that God made to Israel will be fulfilled during that thousand years. The last sign of Christ coming will be the sign of the Son of Man. Jesus said, when you see the sign of the Son of Man, know that his return would be imminent. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. According to some of the church fathers, the early church fathers, they believed the sign of the Son of Man would be the sign of the cross. The cross on which the world and Satan believed they had defeated Jesus Christ would become the sign of his triumphant return. Folks, last week, as I was traveling in another part of our state, in another state as well, I ministered at a couple of churches, and I felt the Lord direct me to a passage of scriptures in Romans, where Paul says, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And I believe the Lord was directing me to that passage of Scripture to remind me that in places of the world that are caught up in darkness, historically the churches had great grace to minister in those regions. That's why many of us have never seen a miracle here in the developed world. But we hear missionaries talk all the time of the amazing miracles in these distant and dark places. Because where sin abounds, God gives grace hyper-abundantly beyond what the darkness can accomplish. And I want to say in this time of darkness and troubles we're experiencing with this pandemic, with this social upheaval, and with... Let's face it, folks, the assault against the freedoms of the church is the Lord is going to give us more grace than we can imagine if we're willing to receive it. And folks, during the end times tribulation, there will be a last days revival that has not been seen since the early church. There'll be amazing grace for those people who are faithful to the cause of Christ to minister during the time of the tribulation. There's so much more we could say and we could teach 
on the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But remember, as I ended part one, you've got to be fully converted to walk through dark times and stay faithful to the Lord. You've got to be fully converted to walk through deep and dark times of persecution that has and that will come upon the church. If you don't, the Lord warns us about the danger of falling away. Be converted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, folks. Be converted to being his disciples by joining his invitation and joining him in his life. Be converted to the church. This isn't a time to be out of church. You may say, well, my church isn't meeting. There's groups meeting all over. Small groups. Ask your pastor, can we start a small group if you're not meeting? It's time to regather. The church is the incarnational body of Christ. It's how God is working in this stage of human history. Be converted to the church of Jesus Christ. If you're out of church, get back into church. If you're not in a faithful church, by all means, find a faithful church. And finally, be converted to the cause of Christ. We live in such a busy, busy age where I hear people say, I'm busy, I can't come to this. I'm busy, I can't read my my bible i can't do a daily devotion i'm too busy folks if you're too busy for the things of the lord you're not converted to the cause of christ get converted to his cause his cause is is more important than anything in your your life and i know this is extreme but this is the teaching of scripture the cause of christ is even bigger than your own life and that's why throughout the ages the saints of God have offered their lives in martyrdom, unwilling to compromise. Finally, know this. I believe that when Jesus returns, he will return for a church that is known only by his name. There will be no denominations. There will be one visible church of Jesus Christ known only by his name. A church that has persevered endured persecution, ministered in signs and wonders and power and proclaimed fully the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that is desperately in need of salvation. Let me bless you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, May the power of God, the protection of God, the provision of God, and the peace of God, and the perseverance of the martyrs and saints be with you all until his glorious coming. Amen.